There's a particular kind of grace in play among former addicts or alcoholics. It's often manifested by an intense desire to share what they have learned and to serve others who are lost in their struggle. You can see it. It's an energy that lights up their presence like a soothing balm or a beam of light. That shine can quell the feelings of doubt and fear that a person new to recovery can experience, and it replaces the chaos in their lives with a gentle compassion. This week, I'd like you all to meet a very special kind of miracle giver and dream fixer. Her name is Megan Maxwell, and she's a certified peer recovery support specialist. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rockin' Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now. Okay, so welcome everybody to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And my guest, and I'm so honored to have her here today, is Megan Maxwell. And Megan is a self-described proud Gen Xer. She's also a grateful recovering alcoholic and addict. Bravo to you. You're five years sober plus. I know what that feels like to get to that five-year mark. That is a big one, isn't it? There was just like, you know, yes, yes. it's like, yeah, I'm really doing this. You know, five years, like, yeah. Yeah. And there's a statistic that shows that the probability for relapse really drops down really low after five years. It's like one in seven, which is still, I mean, one in seven is pretty tough. But I know that when I got to five years, that was like a big deal for me. I showed my my thing on my coin, like, look at me, I'm so cool, you know? Um, you are also a, and this is what I'm really excited about to talk to you about, is you're an Ohio yeah. certified peer recovery support specialist. And you work at the Oriana House. And... Uh, Yes, I do. You also are deeply involved with the Summit County Felony Drug Court Program Turning Point, which yes. is really, really awesome. 17 years married, you get two kids. I got three boys. I do, I, I know, do. it's awesome. Yeah. So I was doing just a little bit of research uh, today, and I want to I want to hear more about your story, but I really want to talk to our listeners about what a certified peer recovery support specialist is. And I went online to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse, and Mental Health Services Administration Center for Substance Abuse Treatment. Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. And and they had a a lot of descriptions about what, they actually had a 16-page report on the benefits of what you do. Yeah. And- it's just, it's, you know, I mean, the benefits as a peer leader are emotional, informational, instrumental, and affiliational. And wow, I mean, I, I just, I can't wait to dig in to talk about that. But in, in, but in, my, in my elder sober badasses, uh, I can hear his voice telling me right now, you, you better qualify yourself, mister, before you get talking. So <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about how we got here today. Let's yeah. talk about... You know, tell me, tell me what it was like for you before. I had a great childhood. You know, I think every family is dysfunctional in their own special ways. During this whole process of recovery, I've really come to the belief that there is no such thing as normal and perfect does not exist. I grew up 
with a family that had alcoholism and mental health disease, you know, deeply entwined in our roots. And both of my grandfathers died as a direct result of this disease. And two uncles now have passed as direct results of this disease. And there are, you know, others in my family, roots, extended family members that could probably um, qualify for the rooms. But um, I'm so far the only person in my family that has gotten sober and, and entered the rooms of AA. And wow. so I'm pretty proud of that, that I can be that um, example. Wow. So, you know, I was a suburban, full-time working and soccer mom. And alcohol had always uh, been a very important part of my life. And I was a basically everyday drinker for a very, very long time. I functioned for a long time. And then I didn't. That's what I want to know. I, I like to talk to people. For me, it was like day drinking. When the day drinking yes. started, when I got up in the morning and I couldn't get to work because I had just visited the Sunoco at the end of the station at 5.30 in the morning. And you know, and I had these little routines I do like, oh, I work the night shift. That's why I'm in here at yes. 5.30 in the yes. morning buying the big magnum of red wine, right? Yes. I work the night shift. Yeah. So yeah. what, what, yeah. when did it, when was the turning point for you? What was the point where you started going, whoa, 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 whoa? When I started shaking consistently and more alcohol was the only way to stop from shaking. When I became physically dependent upon it to feel any sort of normalcy. As soon as I got up in the morning, before I even made my coffee, I was drinking wine. And um, I took um, a tumbler of wine with me to work and kept it in my car and would go out on breaks and take sips so that I wouldn't shake during the day. And I started doing that because someone at work had um, started noticing that I was shaking and they thought it was anxiety. And, and it was, <laughs> but it was also the physical uh, need for that for that alcohol in my system. Mm, right. You know, when that started, then my mental health started to go even further into the rabbit hole and the anxiety attacks started. And, you know, I had to go to the hospital from work one day because they thought maybe I was having a heart attack. You know, everything just started to fall apart. I just could not keep up the charade any longer. You know, you have your certain stores that you go to on certain days so that you don't look like you're drinking too much. Your whole life revolves around how you're going to get it. Right. And, um, right. right. When you're going to get it and how much you have left at home and is it enough to last the rest of the night? Isn't it crazy though? I mean, we were, we were, I was worried about the people who I used to go buy alcohol from so they wouldn't think that I was an alcoholic. Yes. You know, I, I couldn't go to the same store because, oh, oh they're going to think I'm, and you know, all, everybody in my life is looking at me going, dude, really? Really? You know, and I kept thinking, oh, I can't go to Acme to buy this or I can't go to, to the Sunoco station or I can't, because they'll know I go every night, right? They'll know, you know? So what, what happened as far as, the, I call it the circling down the drain moment. What happened? I just was, I was completely losing it. So I did, you know, go to my husband and tell him I'm, this is bad. Like I, I'm having a real hard time here. You know, we decided that I would go see my doctor. 
And he went with me and we went to the doctor and he said his exact words, and I'll never forget it. I don't believe in AA. I don't believe in a God. I don't think any of that stuff is going to help you. I don't think you're an alcoholic. I think that you need to quit drinking for six months and then you'll be fine. Here's some Ativan and Zoloft. Good luck. Wow. 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 For my husband, that was like a relief. Okay, she's not an alcoholic. She just needs to quit for six months. This is good, you know? And that wasn't the case. I couldn't quit. Ativan wasn't going to get me to quit. That's for sure. You had no disease models to support at all. You had a, you, you just got to fix it yourself because it's a character defect. You can't, there was, there was no medical problem diagnosed at all. No. And this is to me so astonishing because I hear this yes. story so often. I couldn't get sober until I finally realized I had a medical problem to solve first. It was first and foremost, I had to solve my medical problem. Yeah. So you were able to move past that, hopefully. Absolutely. What, what was the, what happened next? What, what happened after that? Things just, you know, steamrolled over the next months. And eventually I ended up in a rehab um, out in Michigan. Mm. It was basically a resort. Yeah. Yeah. We had very good insurance through my husband's company, and so it was covered, but it was basically a vacation. You know, it was this huge log cabin in the middle uh, on 80 acres in beautiful upper Michigan in the fall. I mean... Because, you know, a geographical relocation is what we all need to solve our disease, right? Let's just go move somewhere else. That'll make it better because it doesn't follow us. No, it won't follow us. You'll be okay. Right, right. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was there for about 40 days or so. And um, I came home and uh, I drank that night, you know, and then it really steamrolled after that. Ended up in the hospital, you know, ER, and I don't even know how many times. Did a five day stint at St. Thomas and on the mental ward. And, you know, it didn't even stop. It didn't stop after that. I was broken and I just could not comprehend how I was going to be able to stop this. I felt like there was zero hope. I was at the point of giving up mm-hmm. and I had my last drink, woke up in right. the uh, ER at Akron City and my dad was sitting there and, you know, he drove me home. They all decided that I needed to go back to a rehab. So they found IBH I was terrified to go to IBH. I didn't, you know, I'm this suburban, you know, from the falls. I'm not wealthy by any means, you know, regular middle-class person, but definitely sheltered from the real, from the reality of other towns. And I didn't really know much or anything really about the heroin epidemic. And when I heard IBH, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to, be around people that are going to hate me. You know, like I'm not going to have anything in common with these women. You know, they're coming from jails and and all these places. And here I am. How am I going to fit in? Right. Right. Because they're not, they don't understand. Yeah. They're not like me. They don't understand. Right. I get it. I get it. I get it. That's that's the addict alcoholic thinking. You know what I mean? Because it's all about, it's all about what's in our head. You know what I mean? We, we think it's all about us. What we don't realize is that we belong to a club of people that have a disease and we're sick and we have to get better. Yeah. 
and I didn't learn that until I got there. And and going to IBH, that was it saved my life. They got me into the rooms of AA. They showed me how strong I really was. I met so many absolutely wonderful women who we left like I've never left in my life. And we created bonds that will never break. I would be there for any of those women at any time five years later. You know, for me, it's three things. It's it's a under no conditions can I ever use again. I just can't. Number two, I had to find my tribe. I had to find the people that understood really where I was and, you know, that I, I belonged with, that got it. And and the third thing, which is what you're going to, what hopefully we're going to get to right now is that you got to pay it back. You know, if you don't pay it back, if you, if you don't, if you, for me, I, I tell people, and, and somebody just got me, this is a Christmas present. I always talk about that little pink eraser we got in fourth grade, you know, the great big one. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the way I get to erase some of the person who I used to be because that still, I carry that in my back pocket with me. I don't care what anybody says, no matter where you are in the recovery journey, you always think back and say, I can't believe that that was me. I can't believe it, right? Yes. And I can't believe I got to that point where I let all this stuff happen. I'm like, for me, letting one of my children have to call 911 on me, right? I can't believe all those things. And I, I, I know it's not good to talk about shame because shame is such a useless emotion, But for me, I take that little pink eraser out every time I get to help someone. And I feel like, there you go, Mark. It's it's an esteemable act for me. I follow where you are. You're getting out of there. Tell me about the first few miles when you were sober. This is so important. Um, I found an incredible sponsor while I was in IBH and Mm. she was right by my side. As soon as I got out, she was, uh, you have to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Right. You call me every single day. Right. We continued our work with my, with the steps. I just put my nose to the book and, and did what I needed to do. And there was no going back for me at that point. I knew that my life was going to take on a different path. And as soon as I could start going back to IBH and, and driving the girls, I started doing that. As soon as I could sponsor, I started doing that. I loved being able to give back and help others. Helping others. It's, it's the game changer. It's it the truly game changer, is. Isn't it, it truly it's is. It's the game changer. You know, we get out of our head and thinking about our own, I, I forget my language, but I forget about my own poopy diaper, yep, right? Yep. And then then I get to get up and really, really help other people. And when I see other people, there's no greater deterrent to me than to see someone else going through what I went through and to feel and remember what that was like for me. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And to see someone else going through that, that, oh my God, that was me. Oh my God, that was me. And that there's no greater deterrent for me to never pick up or use again except to watch somebody else go through that and go, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. I'm, you know, Absolutely. And it's a daily reprieve for us, you know? Yes. So yes. how did you get to this? Because I really want to get to the place where you talk about what you do right now in your vocation, which is just, I mean, I just, I when, when I was thinking about this, doing this podcast today, I was just shining. I was just shining. I was so happy <laughs> to be able to talk to you about what you do, because I've, I've, you know, I've had a little bit of, we've had a little bit of discussion, and right away, right yeah. away, I knew we're in the same tribe. We're in the same tribe, you know, and and I know <laughs> that 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 our our mutual friend Emily 
also um, was saying, you got to talk to him. You got to talk to Megan. You got to talk to Megan. Hey, hey, she's the one. She's the one. You know, but to tell me, how did, how did it, you know, because I've thought about this training a great deal of time, but really what I want to know is, is, you know, how did you get started and what is it you do? And, you know, how, how does this really help people? This is where I want to go right now. So if we can get there. Okay, cool. I was looking for a job change and I just happened to be on Indeed and I saw Oriana House peer recovery support and that they would get you the certification and do all of that. And so I thought, I'll okay, so I'm going to try this. And I had a good friend from middle school and high school mm-hmm. who's worked with Oriana House for many years. And so I you know, touched base with her and she thought it would be a great idea. And I interviewed, got the job and was beyond blessed to be placed with the Turning Point program. I was just in awe that I was doing what I was doing. You know, the first time I walked into court and went back into Mm. the conference room with the judge and the prosecutor and our police officers and caseworkers and discuss the clients and what was going on with them. And when I had been there for, you know, a little bit and the judge was asking me my opinion on how they were doing and what I thought about what the next step would be. That was just so like, wow, humbling for me. I mean, it was just like, I cannot believe that I'm doing this. So I, basically what I do is I am the support for the clients. I'm an advocate for them. I help the team in a way where I can bring the mind of the alcoholic addict into play and explain to them the thought process in a way and and the signs that I see for different things and and how I, you know, how I feel the client is doing and when we need to surround the client with support or when we need to back off a little bit. And, you know, when the client feels like they're not being treated fairly, I'm kind of that voice of okay, let's really, let's look at this and see what are your actions in it? What are their actions in it? And, and let's try to figure this out. Right. Turning Point Program is a program where if these clients have received a felony and they have the opportunity to get their felony expunged and sealed after they make it through this program. And it's, it's meant to be a year-long program. Now, it can be way more than that. We have clients that, that it takes years to get through, but we don't give up on them. And very rarely does a client get um, terminated from the program and possibly sent to prison or just takes their charge, depending on what the situation is. How does a client qualify for the program? I mean, do you have to petition to do it? I mean, how do you, how do you get in? So we have probation officers as well, and they, you know, they see people coming in with the charges. And, and, and if it falls within a certain category of what type of charge it is, they could be a potential client for a turning point. And so then they are screened. And if they pass the screening, the judges are a part of that too. They help decide whether a client is going to work with the program and if, you know, they qualify for it. As a team, they decide who gets in and it's offered to them as an opportunity. They don't have to take it. A lot do because of that possible expungement sealment. Now, not all the clients have that opportunity to have their felonies expunged and sealed. However, entering the program will keep them out of going to prison, possibly. So it's it's probation with a lot of extras is what it is. They have to do a lot of different things in that year 
to graduate. I got so many questions for you. The first one that comes to mind is, you know, we, you know, we, we deal and we work when we're in a program of recovery, whether, you know, you're just in a simple 12-step program or you're just helping somebody with a phone call. You, you get a sense right away if somebody's just full of it or if they're just trying to work the system or if they truly are, and this is the really the sad point, is they really are beyond the capability of really being able to turn their lives around. And I, I, I had this early on in recovery as somebody say to me, you know, well, we're all kind of cucumbers and then we became pickles. You know, we're never quite cucumbers again. We're always pickles, right? And so, I mean, how do you, when you're working with a various portfolio of clients, I mean, how do you, how do you take it home at night where you're thinking, you know, I, I got to do more to help this person or, you know, or do you find yourself going, you know, there are, I mean, that person, I mean, you know, I mean, it's got to be part of the deal, right? You bring it home with you where you go, that person pissed me yes, off today, yes. right? Oh, you know, sure. you know, or they're, or they're totally using me. They're totally using me in this deal because I felt that helping people out, you know, where you you know, maybe you're involved in a, in, a, in a what I call a trail guide role, okay? Because you know, I don't I don't use a lot of the a lot of the twelve step program things, and because then you know, I just kind of try and make up my own terms for them. But I mean, when, when we're when we're trail guides, you know, you you can find like, hey, dude, can you can you take me to the grocery store? Hey, dude, can you take me to the bank? Hey, dude, can you loan me forty bucks? Hey, dude, and you, at some point you go, whoa, whoa, and you know, you've got to have boundaries. Talk to me, talk to me about how that's worked for you in, in this program. Working for Oriana, that's actually um, a big plus with recovery coaching because they help us with setting up those boundaries. Because Oriana House is corrections and treatment, there's a lot of rules that we have to follow. And it's, it's for our safety and the client's safety because being a recovery coach in corrections, it's such a gray area at times. Right. You know, we are supposed to be this advocate, but we also, we have to follow the rules and we can't do certain right. things. Right. But yes, of course I get um, angry <laughs> too. Um, and of course I get heartbroken and I take it home with me. Absolutely. I try my hardest not to, but I do find that almost on a nightly basis. I do lay in bed and think about different clients and how I can do this with them or change this part and maybe introduce something else to them that might help. Let's flip that coin for a second. Talk to me about what it really works for you. Talk to me about, you know, some of the success stories that you've had and what's what's what what's happening in the community because you know one of the things we we don't realize in Summit County is this is this isn't everywhere there aren't drug courts everywhere there are some real transformation stories that are going on out there you know what i mean and one of the things about this podcast that we like to talk about and why i wanted to have you on here is this podcast is really all about the lanterns and the lighthouses in our community. You know, this is about the people that are making it. Sure, we've all watched the movies with the people and the stigma. We've all heard the stories of people make it. But I don't think people really hear enough about, you know what? People do make it. People do recovery from substance abuse disorder and turn their life around. So as we start heading down to the end of this podcast, help our listeners understand you know, what, what's going on out there? How is this really working in our community? Tell us about that. I have clients that when they start the program, they are 
you know, just getting out of jail for a long period of time, most of them, and they're down to nothing in life, nothing. And, and a lot of them literally grew up with nothing. I look at every client and the, my first thought is they don't know what they don't know yet. I'm there to help teach them that there is a different life. Let us help you get there. Right. That's so smart. Take this opportunity with, let me help you with so many different resources that we have available. Let's get your GED if you need your GED. Let's get your license back if you need your license back. Let's get you a job. We work with um, Ohioans, um, opportunities for Ohioans with disabilities, and they are an incredible team of people that help our clients find careers, not just jobs. We're not just sending them to um, a, a temp agency and saying, you know, go make some money. We are, what do you want to do with your life? What do you enjoy? Let's figure this out and get you. Right. Figure it out. Right. Stable. We help them find housing and all those things, get their first cars and some of them, their very first bank accounts and all of those little things to everyone else that seems so small. These are huge for these people. I mean, huge. And to be able to be with them on that journey is an absolutely amazing thing for me. It has, and on a daily basis, it helps me to be a more empathetic person to every person that I meet. I have clients that, you know, have graduated, they bought homes, they have careers, they have babies now, they have gotten their children back and they're stable. And I have quite a few that now want to be recovery coaches. And I have one that just finished up her certification. She just had her baby and she's going to be looking for a job in a couple of months here as a certified peer supporter. And when someone tells you, I want to do this because of what you did for me, it's just like, wow, <laughs> it's, you know, it's an incredible thing to, to have that opportunity to be in people's lives that way. Wow. You know what, Megan, I, 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 I... I could go on talking to you for for an hour. Unfortunately, we we we've got to kind of wrap this up. You know, you you've really made my day because what we really want to get across in this podcast is is stories like yours. You know, where people, you know, they find themselves in that dark room, can't find the door, and then the next thing they know, they're looking back and they're seeing all this oh, well, really thank you, Mark. great things that they get the opportunity to do and how their life has changed, you know? And then everyone around them is telling them, you're so great. And, you, and that little voice inside of us just says, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe I get to do this. And that's when we really, really understand what the true value of being a recovered person is all about, you know? And I just want to say to our listeners, thanks for hanging with us on this edition of Recovery Talks. Stay tuned for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everybody stay standing and steady on. Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. Their brain is telling them that that substance is necessary for survival. Dr. Nicole Labor is an alcohol and drug therapist who is also in recovery. She offers a clear description of addiction. The part of your brain that says, I have to live at any cost and I will violate my own values and principles in order to do that, 
that's the part of the brain that's involved in addiction. That's the part of the brain that's defective because it seems like addiction is so based in bad behavior and people do such bad things around their addiction. There's this inclination to believe that it's a behavioral problem or a choice problem or a willpower problem. The behavior comes down to choice, but the suffering and the cravings is the actual disease process. And that comes from a defect in the brain. Hear full interviews and learn more about addiction at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. Raising awareness, removing stigma, and offering hope. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel, streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and Recovery. Recovery rocks.